0: Hi, this is Sandy Linzer, songwriter, record producer for The Four Seasons and many other great artists, Whitney Houston. And I'm here on Follow Your Dream podcast with my friend Robert Miller, and I hope you enjoy the show.
1: Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast.
0: Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Ed Castle multi-award-winning composer, producer, and director. He owns Sound Imagination and Imagination Video, and he produces music and videos for Broadway shows, movies, TV, and more. He started out writing jingles, but he's come a long way since then. Now he's doing music for Broadway shows, like A Tale of Two Cities. He's worked with Tony Bennett, the olympics norwegian cruise line pbs SeaWorld, world at&t and a whole host of others and in the middle of this episode as i do with all my musician guests ed and i are going to do a song fest i've asked him to send me a handful of his best works and we'll play a little bit we'll talk about them you'll get the backstory, and nobody else does this in podcasts And you know, I like to feature a song of mine in every episode, underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make it relevant somehow to my guest. Well, in this instance, I've chosen my song called Saturday Morning from my recent EP called The Singles Project. Why? Well, it's a happy, light, bouncy kind of song, which I think could work anywhere. From a jingle to Broadway, all the places that Ed composes for. You decide. So, Ed Kessel, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you, Robert. Happy to be here. I tell you, it's great to have you here. All right, I want to start off with a long lost art form, which is jingles. Okay. I knew a lot of guys that were in the jingle business back
1: in the day. What happened to it? It's gone. Yeah, well, it's um, it's actually kind of making a resurgence.
0: All right, tell me about that.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm seeing more jingles for companies like, you know, Burger King. They have that BK, have it your way thing. And, uh, you know, there's uh lots of other different, you know, companies that I'm starting to hear jingles for. And of course, they've always done like the songs that they turn into jingles like Ozempic. Right, we're using the, <laughs> oh oh oh, it's magic. Except oh oh oh, is epic. Right, so you have that stuff going on too. You know what I love? back
0: in the day? They had things like that. I'm thinking of the Alka Seltzer commercial. What shape your stomach is in, or something like that. And they turn that in, you know, from a commercial into a song, back into a commercial.
2: what shape your stomach's in, when it gets out of shape, take Alka-Seltzer.
1: It was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it was the, uh, the Coca-Cola uh, jingle that, if I have that correct, I don't remember exactly, but I believe the jingle came out and then they turned it into a song where it was I'd Like to Give the World a Coke. I'd
2: like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. harmony. i like to buy the world a Coke and,
1: and keep it company. And it became I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. I'd
2: like to teach the world
1: Hopefully, I have that right. It might be reversed, but I, that's the way it happened.
0: You know, the other thing that I loved—all the television shows used to have these great theme songs, which you could identify immediately. You know, exactly. the Jetsons.
2: Meet George Jetson. His boy Elroy.
0: The Flintstones. And I thought it was great. It was a wonderful way to get the audience situated with that particular show. Everybody sang
1: them. Everybody knew them. What happened to those? I know. They're not as thematic these days. You know, it's more like vibe and, you know, they'll have a little intro music and whatever. But it's not like these great themes that we had, like in the 60s, 70s and into the 80s and all of that. And I remember Friends, for the show Friends everybody told them no don't do a theme song that's not in style anymore and they went ahead and did it and of course you know that became a hit
0: One of the most popular theme songs of all time. Yeah. Oh, well, what can I say? I'll tell you, a little vignette. I was overseas in Ireland. This is a long time ago. And I was being driven around in a car by a guy who was a local guy. And he said to me, um, you know, I I grew up watching American television. I said, that's great. And he started to sing every one of these theme songs. Okay. (laughs) That's That's what we exported around the world. It was our
1: culture. It was our music, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely, it set up the show, like it put you in the mood for the show. All right. You went from jingles, which I
0: understand you used to do in your parents' home, like in your bedroom. (laughs) That's where you started,
1: right? Yes, I started, I had like a little four-track cassette deck and I had a synthesizer and I had a drum machine and i was in business you know So i was like creating my demos and then i would take it from there and go into different studios until eventually i had my own studio so all right so take us from there you
0: started out with that humble kind of beginning and you went to broadway what's the transition here
1: (laughs) it's a big transition
0: yes it is
1: yes so i you know I i was doing jingles for years and i still do you know uh produce them today and um You know, it's, it's funny. It was never part of any grand plan. I never had this path that I was like, I'm going to follow this path and do this started doing jingles and writing other kinds of things. When I did my internship as a, as a young student at channel 13 PBS, I had interviewed a uh, producer of a movie for one of the shows, uh, innovation, which is the show that I was working on. So I interviewed him. He was doing this electronic storyboarding. And I contacted him once I started getting into composing and all of that. And I said, hey, you know, do you need any scores for your electronic storyboards? And at the time, this was a very innovative thing, his electronic storyboarding, where he would basically create the entire movie with dialogue, music, um, the, you know, the the electronic pictures moving, you know, and this was a very innovative thing that nobody else did before him. And um, so he... He took a chance and, you know, had me do do some scores. And that's how I kind of started developing my composing into instrumental and scoring. That kind of started that. That was the seed for that kind of work. And I got more and more into it. And um, when I first started, I was also playing, performing as a musician. I'm a trumpet player. Um, Now I'm an out-of-shape trumpet player. But
0: (laughs) All right, hold on a second. I started on the trumpet as well. What's the book that everybody starts on when you play trumpet? Okay. All the exercises. Arbenz. Arbins, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was talking to Randy Brecker not too long ago, and I asked him the same question. He got
1: the answer right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, Randy's amazing. So uh, so anyway, I was playing with uh, an orchestra called the New Philharmonic of New Jersey. It was a big chamber orchestra in New Jersey. And they asked me to write a piece for the orchestra. and you know, it was like a 15 minute orchestral piece. And, you know, I was more trained as a trumpet player than I was as a composer. And I ended up composing because I loved it and just kind of learned on the job, honestly. And when they asked me to do that, I remember it sounded very scary to me. It's like, how many of, you know, the 60 piece orchestra and a full 15 minute piece. I'm like, this is a far cry from doing like a 30-second or 60-second jingle, right? Or just writing a song. So you just wrote the score, no training, this is it, huh? So I mean, I, I had, you know, been composing for these, you know, storyboards and little movie projects and things like that at this point. But that's
0: not a 60-person orchestra,
1: okay? Right, right, exactly. So the word yes came out of my mouth when they asked me to do that. <laughs> you never say no. Yeah, so... I ended up doing four movements. I scored these um, artwork that was actually done by uh, one of my cousins who's was an amazing artist. And I told, basically painted a tone poem about each of these pictures, these paintings that she did. And it was, you know, came out better than I expected. And I got through it fine. I got it done on time. And the orchestra, we played it in front of a live audience. It got a standing ovation. And, you know then i was really hooked and you were hooked for sure
0: all right i gotta ask this question i've asked this once before to somebody who was a composer can you imagine that beethoven was able to do the symphonies that he wrote towards the end when he was deaf and he couldn't even hear what he was writing down
1: yeah it's pretty remarkable that he was able (laughs) to do that now i mean we all hear the music in our head before we're writing it down right i mean that's how it comes out but like he really had the ability to completely transcribe from his head right to paper without having to hear it
0: that's crazy isn't
1: it it was yeah and to the level that he did it and the <laughs> you know the 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 technicalities of everything that he was doing it was like really astounding so i used to have in my old studio i used to have a picture of beethoven up on the wall and when I was ever I was working on something, I would look at beta. <laughs> I'd say, "Is this good enough?" No, no, don't answer that.
0: That's my inspiration, huh? Yeah, very funny.
1: So anyway, I didn't answer really answer how how it got to Broadway. That's right.
0: We're not quite at Broadway yet. We're somewhere. Right, was right, it right, New right. Jersey that you were doing the the Philharmonic? Yes, the, the Philharmonic. Okay. New All right. Well, will you cross the bridge and get to New York already?
1: It, well, <laughs> well, that's what I was trying to do. All right. And, um, so. Anyway, I can actually trace getting the the uh, the Tell Two Cities gig back to that the album that I did of that piece that I did for the New Philharmonic of New Jersey, and it was because you know I was doing a lot of different music. I had met these two uh, amazing singers who were in Les Mis. He was Marius, she was Cosette, and they ended up getting married in real life, and they were ended up as the producers of a Tale of Two Cities. And I'd worked with them a lot over the years doing various studio productions, hiring them as singers. And they were familiar with, you know, my these various orchestral pieces that I'd done. you know, since then, there were a bunch more before I got to A Tale of Two Cities. And they came to me with that project. And there was already a beautiful album done with a great orchestrator. And I'm like, kind of like what do you need me for <laughs> and they were like they just wanted to <laughs> modernize it and you know get like a different you know uh, a little bit more of a pop sensibility in this very orchestral show so um that's what they came to me for and they had me do a demo of the first song and i worked on it and you know did my very best with it the producers loved it the composer at first didn't like it at all <laughs> little competition there i guess Well, you know, it took her about six months before she kind of like finally came around and kind of, I guess, got what I was doing. And, you know, we modified it a little bit along the way. And then they were like, all right, well, let's do this song. And then so I did that song. And All right, here's another one. And then here's another one until we ended up with an album, a concept album of, you know, like 20 different songs on it. (laughs) And. So anyway, that's part of what they used to help get the investors and sell the show and get it up and running. And, um, you know, it was uh, an amazing project for me to like be in a Broadway theater and hear my orchestrations being played by this amazing orchestra. It was an 18 piece orchestra and the, the they were terrific. and And it was, you know, the singers on stage, it was like, You know, it was like one of those pinch-me-is-this-real moments. I can imagine.
0: Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller, your host. You know, one of the many benefits to me of doing this podcast is being able to collaborate musically with some of my guests who are among the best musicians in the world. My first collaboration was with the great Jim Peterick of the Ides of March and formerly with Survivor. Jim and I collaborated on The Fall of Winter, a song about a blue-collar worker who dreams of a better life. Also contributing was Elliot Randall, the renowned guitarist. John Helliwell was the amazing saxophonist in Supertramp, one of the greatest bands of the rock era. John collaborated with me on my 2023 album, Bobby M and the Paisley Parade, and he's featured on several tracks. One of them is This Time. Tony Carey is a singer-songwriter and keyboard genius who played with Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Tony has collaborated with me on several recordings including his exquisite organ playing on all of the time. all. And I'm finishing up a new collaboration right now with trumpeter Randy Brecker, formerly with Blood Sweat and Tears. Collaborations like these make the podcast very special indeed. As always, thank you for listening. And keep on rocking. All right, listen, you've done a great segue, even though you don't know it, into the Songfest portion of this. And we've got one of the things from A Tale of Two Cities teed up here. So tell me, what are we listening to right now?
1: So we did um, an international concert for PBS of the, the music from the, the Broadway show, A Tale of Two Cities, and it was done, we filmed it in Brighton, England, and we had members of the West End and Broadway who were there and brought it to life on stage as a concert. And what I put together were the, what I consider the orchestrating highlights of the show and really featuring, you know, what the orchestra is playing along with the singers and everything else. And um, it was kind of like a highlights reel.
0: And this was on PBS, wasn't it?
1: Yes, correct.
0: Fantastic. All right, I want to go back. I, I pulled out one of the jingles that you gave me because, I again, I love jingles, all right? And this <laughs> okay. was for Progressive autumn. It's a really cool jingle. It's got that jingle feel to it.
2: So you got a little trouble with the credit score. Well, here's a little tip so you want any more. Nope. Pick out your car, fill out a form. That's all you need to know. and in- oh. Progressive group, in Massalon,
0: Tell me something
1: about that. So, you know, this was a project where they were looking for something. They're always, it's funny, whenever anybody asks for a jingle, they're like, oh, I want something catchy. That's a given, right? The whole purpose of the jingle is to be catchy. Right. So um, they really left it up to me. They didn't give me much as far as the way, in uh, direction. They wanted it upbeat and they wanted it catchy. That was my direction. So I wanted to give it a bit of a pop sound. And funny enough, the singer on that jingle is the son of Barbara and Ron, who were the producers of A Tale of Two Cities. Ah. So they, they were, you know, they're these two amazing singers as parents and they had these four incredibly talented singing kids. And now they have this whole family thing that they do they have like i don't know nine million followers on tiktok or whatever literally people recognize them all over the world now did
0: you write the music only or did you write the uh, the lyrics as well everything everything yeah. so how does that work does the company come to you and say this is our new product and this is what i want you to pitch or you know tell us how that works
1: So yeah, so the the process is, you know, basically, they come to me and they may have a slogan, they may not have a slogan, they may be looking for me to help provide a slogan to them. So, you know, I, I basically grill them about what their selling points are, what makes them different than the competition. And, you know, they were uh, you know, basically, it was about their processes. So easy and go online and click, 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 and boom, you, you get a car, you know, at a great price. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where we came up with, you know, with this little jingle. And, uh, you know, I wanted it to, to give it like a little poppy sound and have it kind of fun. And uh, we produced the video for it as well. And, um, you know, we we just had a blast with it. Well, I want you to know it worked because after I listened to it, I went
0: online and I bought their product. Okay. (laughs) So you sold it to me. Good for you. All right. Let's go to the next one. This is called That Magical Summer. This is an interesting one. You wrote this with Sandy Lindzer, or he was part of this, if I understand correct. Yes. Sandy, for anybody that has not heard the interview yet, is a wonderful composer. He's just done so many different things, and you guys are partners. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Sandy and this
1: particular song. So I met Sandy a long time ago. I knew his nephew, um, it's actually his wife's nephew, who's a, a songwriter, and they came into my studio when I was in Edison, and it was my in the basement of my my house, and uh, they produced this demo of I'm trying to remember the name of the song. Um, anyway, it ended up on the Backstreet Boys album, right? So they this was the demo that they presented to the Backstreet Boys, and that's when I met Sandy and Andy, his nephew told me all about him and you know all the amazing songs he did and whatever and you know it was little i was I was all of maybe thirty years old at the most, and you know it was intimidating meeting Sandy Lindzer because it's got this like impressive, you know unbelievable catalog of hits, okay oh yeah, yeah, exactly, so uh, I always just kind of kept them in the back of my mind and it was when i wrote a song um a 9-11 piece honoring the uh, heroes and victims of 9-11 that was written for flight across america which was a big tribute to 9-11 a year later and it was performed live on the intrepid and this was a very special song to me and i never went to sandy this was probably 15 years later after i had worked that one time with him in the studio and I called him up, and you know he was very receptive. And I said, "Look, you know, I just want to run this by you and see what you think, and you know if you have any ideas what to do for, with it." So he play, <laughs> he go like, over to his house. He plays it on this little mono like cassette deck. <laughs> uh huh. It was like, you know, some kid would have in his room, you know, when they're 10 years old. And he's, he's like, don't worry. Like I listen a boom to box or something, huh? Not even a boom box, <laughs> not even close to a boom box, right? And uh, so, anyway, I was like, oh man, all this work I did this, and that's what you're going to play it on? That's what I was thinking. And he really dug it, you know. And then eventually, Sandy and I started working together and writing together. And, um, we had an artist uh Christina Ronaldo, that we were starting to work with and we were writing songs for her and that Magical Summer was one of my favorites which is why I sent that one to you you know it just it has a little bit of a jazz vibe to it and Sandy and I were basically jumping up and down when we wrote it we were really you know really thrilled with it and um You know, nothing ever happened with Christina, you know, unfortunately, because, you know, it takes a small miracle to get an artist signed and (laughs) all of that. But there may be, you know, something, another life for this particular song that we're exploring actually right now. So,
0: Well, it's a nice song for sure. Okay, last one we've got here is something called Hawks, which I think you did for Norwegian Cruise Line. Tell us about that one.
1: Yes. So that was something very close to my heart. So I got a call out of the blue from this producer from Norwegian Cruise Line. And um, he was uh, somebody in town actually produces a lot of national tours of Broadway stuff and recommended me to him. And they had like, I think, five, six, seven composers up for this. And they were initially talking about sound design. So I did some sound design as my little demo for them. And then he kind of hit me back and said, you know, some of the others are doing music for this, you know, some scoring. Would you be into doing that? And I'm glad he asked me that. And I was like swamped at the time when this job came up. Like I was was working till three o'clock in the morning trying to get this demo done for Norwegian. But it was a magic show. And when I was a kid, I was actually a professional magician. Uh (laughs) Like 11, I was doing magic shows for kids parties and things like that. And I did that for a bunch of years. I was, I loved magic. And this is a magic show with a story and a really cool show. So I did a demo for it and I sent it in. And um, luckily I got the gig. So they hired me for it. And, uh, you know, I had um, about two months to write all the music for the whole show. And it was probably about 60 minutes worth of music because it was a very music heavy show. And, uh, you know, wrote it, produced it, got a, a nice budget, but live strings, live brass, you know, really got to do it up. And then I was on the ship for about four weeks, getting the show up and running. And it was just a wonderful thing. The piece Hawks that you're going to play in the middle of this theater was this huge dome that they did video mapping of the dome. And they had like these intros to each act and segment of the, uh, of the show And so there's this kind of like interlude piece would play with these, you know, crazy images going on in this dome. And, and, you know, it was, it was very exciting and the audiences loved it and, you know, I was really happy to be a part of it.
0: Must've been very cool. All right. If you are a magician, tell me who your favorite magicians are.
1: (laughs) Well, Houdini was like the greatest of all. Like I was obsessed with Houdini. I probably did uh, four book reports when I was a kid on Houdini, but, uh, Uh, you know, I like, um, David Copperfield. He's amazing. Um, you know, some of the new guys, I don't know everybody's name, but some of the guys who were in the show were some of the big music, magicians from around the world. Uh, Michael Giles was amazing. Dirk Losander, Demare, and you know, there were a few that came through that were just fantastic.
0: What about David Blaine? Do you like him?
1: I do like David Blaine. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's amazing. I don't know how these guys do this, of course. And I know that all of these things, I guess, are tricks or illusions of some kind. I mean, right. I still don't understand how Copperfield makes an elephant disappear. <laughs> You'll have to explain that to me offline. <laughs> but that's pretty cool that you can do that stuff. I remember Johnny Carson was also into magic, wasn't he?
1: Johnny Carson loved it. Yeah, I used to watch the, the Johnny Carson show, and I would love when he had magicians on.
0: Do you still do this at parties and stuff? No, no, not
1: not since I was a kid, really.
0: You sold your hi-hat and your cane and the cape and the whole thing?
1: (laughs) For the trumpet. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) Oh, man, we all go through so many different phases of our life. You have had such a charmed life. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you. We've been talking here with Ed Kessel. He's gone from jingles to Broadway to PBS, so many things in between. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. All right. We're going to
0: play now that song that started off the episode. It's my song called Saturday Morning. I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode.
2: You can connect with Robert at Robert at Follow And
1: you can hear more from his band at Project Grand Slam.com.
2: We'll get a late start, maybe go into the town. Saturday morning, by and by. The needs mowing. Getting old. The plants need tending, and the oak tree has some mold. I'll take the outside while you take the indoors. This is the one day that we'll get to our chores. Saturday morning. They're all outside in the yard The neighbor waves to us from inside of her car The dog is barking cause he's hungry for his meal